Hello and welcome. I'm Chris Neeland, host of Cult Brand Secrets. This podcast is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts and The Gathering. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit, and it's a masterclass for brand leaders hoping to reap the benefits of having hyper-engaged customers, prospects, and staff. In every episode, I present one of industry's biggest disruptors, a brand leader who is earning cult-like status by thinking and behaving differently than his or her mediocre peers. These brand leaders will share examples of how their companies, such as Marvel, M&Ms, Beats by Dre, Yeti, or the Dallas Cowboys, are spending their time and their resources creating advocates by enhancing their customer and their employee experiences in ways that make interacting with them irresistible. So check out all our episodes to gain access to the most impressive business leaders sharing their most important advice. You know, for nearly 20 years, people have been using Zappos as this best-in-class example of a culture-first company, one that has achieved billions in annual sales while at the same time prioritizing its people over profits. Now, I certainly adore Zappos, uh, but I think it's time for a new case study. And I think that we found that case study in Chobani. Chobani is this remarkable company. They started in 2005, and by 2010, they were well over a billion dollars in sales and already the number one seller of Greek yogurt in North America. Now, certainly their success has bred a bunch of copycats, but this company continues to evolve and to grow and to lead by example of what a purpose-driven, culture-first company can actually accomplish. I'm excited for you today to meet Meredith. She is Chobani's chief marketing officer and chief category officer. You will find that she is charming and refreshingly candid. She's also super smart and has a huge responsibility at her job. You know, I'm actually a bit envious of her because she gets to work for one of the most fascinating companies that I have ever had the privilege of studying. She has been there throughout a very exciting time in Chobani's growth and in that company's life cycle. You know, just prior to our event, they had experienced a change to their senior leadership team. And we were originally gonna have Peter McGinnis speak because he was Chobani's president and previously their CMO. And I've been a fan of his for years. But just prior to the gathering, he left Chobani and he accepted a new role as the CEO at Impossible Foods. Fortunately for us, Meredith agreed to come in his stead, and I am so glad that she did. She brought such an amazing energy, she brought a great sense of humor to the event, and she won over the hearts and minds of everyone who was lucky enough to interact with her. I believe that she is the perfect brand ambassador for this company. So enjoy what she has to say, and let me encourage you to stay through the end where there's a Q&A portion of her remarks, because she's gonna give some great advice about career advancement. I think that it's really relevant in today's era of quiet quitting, and it's helpful to anyone who's thinking about how can they advance themselves professionally. And she's also gonna talk about the difference between leadership and functional expertise, being competent and being curious, and also being a really good person to work with. I fully endorse all of her suggestions. So let's listen in. Here's Meredith. Hello, my favorite people are here. Thank you so much. I am Meredith Madden, and I asked all of you to be here, and you all came. So thank you. The lights are really bright. I can't see if you're hungover. I also can't see then if you're sleeping. So I won't take offense, but I know it was a a late night. And when I went to bed and my alarm said, your alarm will go off in four hours. I was thinking, well, crap. That was not the best thing to do. But also, you know, I got Friday morning. Um, What I don't see here is the Bloody Mary cart I ordered but I think it's because they said, oh, we don't have Bloody Marys here. We just have Caesars. 
So next year, I will get it right. Um, beyond yogurt. So I guess I kind of gave it away with this title, but really I'm going to take you through a little bit of journey about me, about the company, about building our brand Beyond Yogurt. And just, you know, maybe there'll be some lessons in there, maybe there won't be, but I really wanted to set this up as talking a little bit about my unconventional path. And I use the word unconventional because maybe wrongfully so, I assume that a lot of CMOs, you know, maybe were brand managers at one point, had marketing internships, worked on social at some point. Um, and I didn't do any of that. So this is me. I'm just a kid from Akron, like LeBron. Basically, same level of success, I feel like. You know, he has a few more zeros. I don't know. I'll get there. Um, I actually did miss a couple people's presentations, but that is the third LeBron reference in this session. So I wasn't sure if everybody knew who that was. I went to Ohio State, and I'm oddly obsessed with my alma mater. Um, people get really annoyed. I make my husband wear all this Ohio State gear, and people will walk by and say, oh, H. Yes! And he's like, and he's like, huh? And I'm like hitting him. Oh, and he's like, oh, oh, I O. Okay, okay. So I went to Ohio State. When I was in second grade, I knew I wanted to go to Ohio State, and it's the only school I applied to. I've always loved numbers, so I thought I wanted to go into accounting. I'm realizing that, I realized quickly, I'm extremely extra, extroverted, outgoing. People might describe me as gregarious. Um, I took the Myers-Briggs test twice. I have all E's, no I's, and I was told, no, Meredith, you are not supposed to be proud of that. You have to have a little bit of a balance. <laughs> so I realized accounting is probably not going to make sense for me. So I majored in marketing. At Ohio State at the time, it was a little bit easy to get a double major. So I added on transportation and logistics. So starts my career. I put this picture up here because I can drive one of these. I have a forklift license. Unfortunately, I think they're like only active for six months. So technically I couldn't like go into the back room of Walmart and pick one up, but I would probably know how to do it. I worked at a distribution company for five years, managing assistant manager of the distribution center. I didn't really want to make this connection or plan to make this connection, but I think this really kicked off my path to leadership. I was in Columbus, Ohio, moved to Dallas, and I started in this distribution center with about 17 employees. And a lot of the guys were calling me like daddy's little rich girl. You know, I'm blonde, I was young, I was their boss. And I was like, dude, my dad's a construction worker. Like, I'm poor. And what I did was I got on the forklift, I stacked boxes off the shipping lanes onto pallets, and I worked my ass off. And then suddenly, I was no longer daddy's little rich girl. I was like a badass boss that was not afraid to get her hands dirty. I was afraid, however, of monotony. And that job was very monotonous. I had a friend who was a category manager, and she told me what she did, and I was like, oh, that's the perfect job. I'm going to go be a category manager. And if you don't know what category management is, which is partly in my title, chief marketing and category officer, we're the ones that look at all the data and the charts and all that fun stuff, and we also get to go and sell the story with our sales teams. So I really get to be an, extra, an extroverted data nerd, which is the way I describe myself. I was in the category management space for four years before moving to Chobani to build their category management team. I went over in 2012. I built category management. I did that role for four years. And then I just sort of started adding on teams about as fast of a rate as Giovanni added on new products. And it just got me to where I was today. My mom has this little whiteboard by her 
phone that's on the wall still with like the long cord in Akron, Ohio. The top of the whiteboard is, says Pizza Hut with the Pizza Hut number. And then in all caps, it says Pan Crust because I'm 100% sure her husband accidentally did not order Pan Crust one time. And now it has to be on the board so he never messes up again. Those of you with husbands, you understand. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, she had like my title on it. Director of Category Management. And then, you know, she would cross it off and keep adding and keep adding. And I texted my family and said, like, oh, I, I'm CMO now. And she's like, oh, yay. And then asked my brother what that was. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's been a different path. I will tell you one story and then lead into why you're all here because you want to hear about Giovanni and not about me. Um, when I first took on one of the marketing functions, and I started getting integrated with some of the teams, I was in a meeting with our head of brand and creative, a couple of creative designers, and our president who came to the company as CMO. And we were looking at a cup of yogurt on the screen, and it was a strawberry. And I said, yeah, I think that strawberry needs to be bigger. And Everybody looked at me and was like, what? And I was like, what's this reaction? Like, it's too small. It should be bigger. And I later found out from my boss that he said, let me, let me tell you something, Meredith. You cannot go into meetings with designers and design direct. And I was like, what is that? And he's like, well, you told them to make the strawberry bigger. That's not your job. You were trying to direct them on the design. And I said, like, I don't, I mean, okay, but I just think it should be bigger. I don't see how that's offensive. He said, here's how you have to think about it. What you should have said is, that is very beautiful. I'm worried that somebody won't be able to tell it's strawberry from six feet away from the shelf. And I was like, oh, got it. Okay. This is when I knew I had to figure out how to talk to, work with, be more creatively mind minded. Um, I still have a team with me here today that will probably say I don't do a good job of um, thinking about people's feelings, but I'm sorry. <laughs> so who is Chivani? Why you're all here? We're the yogurt company. Just kidding. Remember from the poll, we, we do more than yogurt. Uh, the best thing about Chobani, why I've been here for 10 years, is our founder, Hamdi. And if you don't know Hamdi, Chris called it out a little bit in his presentation yesterday. He's just an incredible, amazing individual. He came to the US and he ate some yogurt and he said, this is crap and people think that this is healthy and it's really unhealthy and full of a lot of sugar. And he started Chobani and he founded Chobani on this belief that everyone has great taste, they just don't have great options. We have a founding mission, better food for more people. We are 100% trying to change this to better food for all people. Our entirety of everything that we do from making products to relationships with our customers is all about the DNA that you may have heard me say something last night in a very choppy way. I think that's what I'm trying to be very like articulate. Like I have to close all my words and take breaths, but DNNA, delicious, nutritious, natural, and accessible. We do not believe that food should be, our food specifically, Chobani, should be unattainable for any people. So the accessible, it's not just about price point, it's about where we are, the helping, whether it's through availability in stores, but also working with a lot of food banks or charitable organizations to help spread our food and provide more food for everyone. The thing that keeps me here is you can really bring your true self to work. We are all about people. 
Um, Hamdi loves people. That's why Hamdi did give shares to everyone in our company, not just, you know, people with certain titles or above. It's always been about the people. And one of my favorite things, I hope that I can uphold this, is that when I interview somebody for any role, whether it's a category management role, uh, insights role, is that I say, we are still trying to operate as an entrepreneurial company. We are a bigger company, but we're not so overly processed that if you come in and say, why wouldn't we look at something this way that you're going to get told like, no, that's not the way we do it. So it's just a really, it's a really great place to be where you can be yourself. Um, if you haven't made the connection, Yet, we have a ton of culture puns in our company. So it's like, you know, our culture is thriving. Get it? Because bacteria, that's how yogurt gets made. <laughs> so we have, a, we have a lot of culture puns in our, in our company. This isn't going to be a purpose-driven marketing discussion, but we are extremely purpose-driven and maybe someday in a few years, me or someone on my team can come back and talk more about that. I will take you through a little bit of the evolution. So back in 2007, Chobani was really launched feet on the streets, both in sales. Our sales guy put it in his trunk and drove around. And our marketing was very grassroots. We had cup trucks. We had a couple of guys that drove trucks all through the country full of yogurt and just handed it out. When I joined in 2012, we had our buyers, our customer buyers, they said, guys, you are not a small startup company anymore. You are a big company. You do have competition in this category, even if you don't think you do. You have to start coming with data, information. You have to know your customer. You have to know your category. You have to know yourselves. And that's how I was pulled into Chobani to build the category management team. We did start establishing some functional CPG teams. We had the category management team. At the time, we moved into brand managers. Um, and we started bringing more platforms than just our regular core yogurt. In 2017, we had created an in-house agency Marketing turned into something called growth hacking. I think I heard somebody talk about hacking. I understand it. I think it's great. It didn't work for Chobani. Almost every year, the marketing team was kind of shifting direction, shifting leadership. And I uh, didn't really interact with them at all as a person running category management. We also built our internal insights team at that point. And this is an important part of the story because when we built the insights team, they were looked at as the police. Nobody wanted to partner with them because they were like, oh, you can't tell me that what I'm doing isn't going to work or it's wrong. And it was just a very difficult thing to overcome trying to explain if we do the work up front, we'll get better results in the end. And this is still in, you know, just four years ago when we started building these teams. I'm going to skip this because you'll hear more about it later, but this is what it looked like in 2017. We had the sales team, sales category, and Shopper was a little bit kind of, I would say, in no man's land. My uh, director of Shopper, Fankitas, understands. Um, and then we built the in-house agency. And the in-house agency, their tie was really to Hamdi. And Hamdi loves everything about branding, and he really wanted to be in, involved in everything. So their tie was to Hamdi. Their tie wasn't even really to the business. And again, I'm building up teams and not really interacting with this in-house agency in any good way. So we were 10 years old at, in 2017, and that's when we brought in the in-house agency and we decided to do a rebrand. And this is what our yogurt used to look like. I see this logo and it is like, I can't believe that was our logo. Not in a bad way. It's just we shifted 
away from that in 2017, 2018. And now it just, it looks so old. But the reason we did the rebrand was we were the leader in Greek yogurt and this was our cup shape. And everyone else started, you know, mimicking, mirroring, copying our yogurt, look, feel, cup. And our founder was really thinking, no, I'm the leader. The shelf looks like a mess. I want our brand to stand out more. I want it to be more approachable. So we rebranded. And this is the logo that we use today. Um, the rebrand, I am not like, if you don't remember, I'm not a marketer. I can't talk about fonts, but I was told that this is a much more approachable font and it makes it feel like we can be moving forward to a food company. So this was our brand revolution in 2017. But enter conflict, it didn't all go as planned. Our flip, have any of you had flip? Thank you. And Ray, we are doing that partnership. I don't know where you are, but I'm going to find a way. Our flip looked like this. And somebody decided, and I don't remember if I was part of it, so I can't really like blame other people. But somebody decided we had 24 different flip flavors. And they thought, oh, we can segment these because some of them are indulgent. Some of them are more nostalgic, like our pie flavors. And some are like healthy morning breakfast. So we segmented them and it looked like this. And when it looked like this and you put it on the shelf and it used to just look like this, people were confused. Oh, this is a perfect word place. They were confused as fuck. I wanted to get that in there because I felt like only the guys were comfortable saying fuck. And I was trying to tie... <laughs> I was <laughs> I was trying to tie in the love actually like, oh, I had a premonition I would fuck it up a bit, you know, but <laughs> I'm not good at that. I am, I do a killer Anna Delvey impersonation, but if you guys, <laughs> I don't know why they made the flip look like these colors because clearly there are not any reason for those colors to exist. So can you, you all know, you in a company or in your mind have this great idea. You have no money, you don't communicate it, you expect the person that's looking at it to just understand what was in your mind. Well, that didn't happen. What happened was we dropped between five and 11% across the portfolio and it was like, oh shit, what happened to Flip? And we're like, look at what it looks like. So <laughs> this, is, this is the pivotal moment for me because guess what we did? We tested it and we said, insights help us. We need to figure out what's wrong. And May, don't kill me. I'm being a little dramatic here, but <laughs> this is the way I felt. So we tested it and look what it says. Confusing, different brand, less natural, less healthy, more chocolate, less Greek. It, the abstractness of the illustration did not do it any favors. So when we brought in insights and we were Super awesome because we had in-house creative and in-house insights, so we could move really, really fast. We tested it and we fixed it. And we even tested to the point where we looked at, should the pie look like a pie or should it look like the ingredients? And all of our dessert flavored flip will look like the dessert. We were uncomfortable in the early days attaching a color to the packaging that didn't match the food profile. So we have a lot of flip with nuts, with chocolate. We had a lot of brown labels on the shelf. So we got comfortable saying, we can do blues, we can do pinks, we can do greens. So all of it separated out. And this packaging that we have today is something that Hamdi calls back to 
constantly. And we just, you know, is again, the first time that we brought in insights and we connected with actual consumer data to fix a problem. So have you ever heard about silos? I feel like it's overused, but sometimes people might not know what it what the analogy is. So I had our creative designer draw me silos. So in case you didn't know, these are silos. This was an example of why silos didn't work because we had this awesome idea for this rebrand, but we didn't take it all the way. And to say that none of these teams were working together would be just like inappropriate and rude. People are working together, but you know, Insights was working with new product development on food, but they weren't working with marketing on target audience. We didn't connect back. Where do we want this to live? What is the category needs date? Why are we launching this product? What do we want it to look like? Who do we want it to talk to? We don't have big budgets. And oftentimes our packaging is our marketing. So, you know, I at this point had the insights team, the category management team, and the shopper marketing team in 2018. And I still wasn't really talking to anybody in our agency. I remember meeting with Kwame, who some of you know, and May, and just like kind of talking to them. And then they left and I'm like, I have no idea what they do. And that's on me too, as a leader, I should find that out. Um, but you know, it's just a reminder that it's not gonna work if you're not working together. And we really needed to get it right because a year later, we were still a little bit siloed. We still were, we would launch campaigns, we would launch brands, we, we have what we call like a launch pack. So we'll do social shopper, you know, owned and operated type assets, even if we don't do a big campaign, but it's still never really connected. And we had to get it right because in 2020, we became not a Greek yogurt company. We became what we call a modern food company. In 2020, between the January timing and the December timing, we launched into four new categories. So just yogurt for 13 years, and then four new categories in 12 months. We really had to think about, like, we had people saying, I don't understand, Chobani, oat milk? Like, it, why would Chobani make oat milk? So we had to work together to really get our story straight. And what we knew, we knew this, but we learned it more so. We have an intense love and trust for our brand from our yogurt consumers. So it was imperative that we used that brand love to bring people into these new categories. So now we were able to say, oat milk is still a pretty new category. You want people to come in, put the Chobani name on it, they will come in because they love Chobani yogurt. So we built what we call a branded house. And I was talking to Ray about this with Mattel. Um, you know, there's a lot of different brands in Mattel. When I was the first category manager, I supported brands or companies. I supported Novartis and I had to Google Novartis. Uh, you don't know that Excedrin is made by Novartis. You don't know that some of these brands are made by these owning companies. So we could have gone down the route of, hey, let's find a real fun, cool name for our oat milk and we can just say made by Chobani at the bottom. But we felt it was just much more important to build this branded house. So everything we launch into will look and feel like a Chobani product. Our lockups are all the same. We weren't there yet though, because this was 2020. I was starting to build in the rest of the marketing teams and really becoming a better person. And instead of just like having a meeting with somebody and saying, I don't know what they do, really trying to understand what they do. But we looked, we took a step back and we said, okay, we're not, we're, we're still tripping on each other. We're still going all the way in this one direction, but we forgot to do this part here. So that's where our dirty word process came in. Um, 
This was not planned, just a coincidence, but I literally have this quote that MJ used in her presentation on the slide. This quote was added into a deck that we were going to present to somebody on why we were creating this process. And, you know, I just, I loved it so much because me being that super extroverted person, I just extremely wanted to work with people all the time. I was like, more is more. Let's have everybody in the meeting. Let's talk about everything. I swear we'll get everything done. You know, that doesn't always work, but I really wanted to push this like, hey, you're gonna, if you have more people listening, that's a less of a backup you have to go when you get out of the meeting. So I love this quote. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So this new team I had, where I would say 99%, maybe 100, were probably thinking, how is that data girl going to be my boss? What am I going to learn from her? She does all the Excel charts. She doesn't even know how to ask to make a strawberry bigger. So <laughs> I really, this is, this is not anything like mind-blowing. It's, again, not a framework or anything. But what I started doing is just having more conversations with everyone and bringing more people in and calling people out of like, why didn't you have this person in? Well, they don't really do that part. Like they're going to come in later. Like bring them in now because then if we have to change direction or change an idea, they're already going to know. They're already going to be there. We're just going to like get stronger and yes, together go farther, but essentially together go faster too. So it was really an evolution in not just the structure, but in the mindset, in the attitude, and in the process. And I think this is my favorite piece because this new team, we had this evolution, but what I was able to provide was more context. So we change our mind all the time. It's a blessing and a curse of being in a founder-led organization. We moved very, very, very quickly. We built an oat milk plant in less than a year. We launched these new products, some of them in less than six months. So if I couldn't tell somebody how to improve their design or improve their marketing strategy or improve, you know, anything else that I don't even know the words because I'm not a marketer, I could at least help them have the context and the understanding of why we're doing these things. So adding that context has, even if people don't agree with it, it helps. And I think, and I'll probably mess this up, but I think Tyler, one of the things that he said about Tony was like, don't judge, you don't have all the, you just might not have all the information. So I'm trying to give everyone the information. Even if it changes every day, if you have the information, it's gonna help you understand why we're going where we're going. And then having more teams together under one, you know, CMCO, it just helps with that diverse thought. In two years ago, if somebody on the category team had suggested that maybe we look into this direction for a target audience, it would be like, oh my God, go to the customer. Why are you in my lane? You know, so like we're trying to not have lanes and we're trying to have more conversations. So people have more, more understanding of what we're doing. And then they get more of that insights influence because we're all connected. And then finally, it's just... it. Results in um, higher trust, willingness to speak up. I don't like to put people in uncomfortable positions, but I do encourage people to speak up. And, you know, I am not the kind of person that's like, no idea is a bad idea, but I'm also not the kind of person that's going to say, I can't believe you said that. You shouldn't have said that. So it's having those conversations with everyone together. Shared responsibility, hopefully better focus and stronger results. And we created a process, and this process is called Cloud to Consumer. Oh, by the way, if you guys like these graphical elements, I was going to say, like, you're going to at least, if you don't like the presentation, you at least don't have to see cockroaches. You can see, like, pretty drawings of people in clouds. Um, so we created this process, and it's a work in progress, but 
it's really the cloud is Hamdi's brain. It's his mind. Some of our own stuff too, but when we're walking down and he's like, let's make soup, you know? We might make soup one day. But if we do, we're going to be ready because the insights can all start their discovery work and we can get this process moving. And my team knows it wouldn't be a fun Meredith presentation if I didn't have a terrible eye chart, but usually it's a terrible eye chart full of tons of numbers. So this is kind of a visual eye chart. Uh, the sad thing is, is it makes us look like we're extremely processed. Um, I don't think we do any of this well yet, but we like to put it on paper because it just gut checks like, oh, did we miss a step here? Did we miss a step here? The funniest thing about this is we try to build it out for a 16-month timeline. We do this in about three to four months every time we do it. So that is my takeaway, a big eye chart. But really, it's a, like I said, it's a work in progress. These teams have been together for just a year, and we have a long way to go. But I do think as we've started bringing in the insights team, bringing in the category team, really bringing everyone together, it's gotten us to a place where we have kick-ass campaigns. Um, we launched our Zero Sugar. Our Zero Sugar is probably the best launch we've had since Flip. We knew our consumer. We knew our target. We knew what messaging. We knew that WW would be the right partner. We just knew all this stuff because we took the time to do it. I made little video clips in here. They don't, there's no sound, but you guys, you had to hear me talk the whole time. I had no videos in my presentation, so I'm sorry. But we did get to a better place here. Um, we partnered with Martin, I don't know where they are, on our oat milk campaign. We had an oat milk campaign when we launched oat milk, but we learned a lot since launching it and we shifted our focus. And now we came out with a campaign that allows us to be really fun and energetic. But more importantly, there's these little snippets in it so we can show up in so many different ways with our small budgets and go after audiences. And we are able to do this and hopefully these campaigns can live over years instead of happening once and then being less relevant if we change direction. So there you have it. Final thoughts. Things don't have to be done the way they were always done. I also think that's a similarity to something Tony said. Um, marketing can't be done in a vacuum. I say there's space for all important voices. I do think this ties into as well what MJ had been saying in her presentation two days ago. Having that voice of somebody that might not necessarily know that functional expert, have that functional expertise allows more ideation and more questioning of, oh, why would you think that way? And then it can open up different opportunities for successful campaigns. And then putting up in the work up front. Putting in the work up front is all we need to do to have less failure, better results, less frustration, less pivoting, shifting, turning, because we're all aligned and we're essentially going down that same path. So thank you. This is my favorite slide. You're all doing great. You only have a couple more to go and then you can go get your Caesars. And I really appreciate it again. Thank you for having me here. Hello, Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Hi. My I'm so happy to be here with you and um, ask you a couple questions and get to know you a little bit more intimately here. Um, this is someone else's water. Have you ever done stand-up? Uh, ever considered it? I have considered it. Uh, 
Funny story for last night at the bar, not for today, but I did a stand-up routine. It's not appropriate. <laughs> My for later. <laughs> I actually, if 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 I won the lottery, like I I would. I was actually hoping there might be like a some sort of producer with some sort of connection, and I might become like that kind of like funny sidekick in a in a movie. I think you can do it. <laughs> I do. Okay. Um, I looked at your LinkedIn. I noticed something pretty powerful about it that you've risen through the ranks at Shabani from, I have to, I had to write this down, <laughs> director level starting in 2012. You can check my mom's whiteboard. Four years later, senior director. One year later, vice president. Two years later, senior vice president. One year later, chief marketing and category officer. Yes. Wow. I am a badass. <laughs> So my question is, do you have a philosophy in career advancement? Um, okay, so I'm not a very deep thinker. I don't have a huge philosophy other than, you know, do everything. Don't be afraid to try something different. Uh, it, it's not going to be as easy easy to just say like, oh, I want to I go into this role. I want to go into this role because sometimes those opportunities aren't there. I was very fortunate that I had these opportunities, but it was because I always raised my hand. Um, what I would tell somebody was, if you see something that you're interested in, find out more, ask them if you can help them with the project, learn more, get to know other teams outside of yourself and be very good at the job that you have because you can't just be the person that's like, oh, I want to do all these things. And then you're, you're working at, at 50%. But if you're the person that gets asked to help with something and the response is like, I'm really busy. Yeah, everybody's really busy. I did not get this way by saying no to things because I was busy. So I would, I don't know if that's great advice, but you just got to put yourself out there and, and learn everything you can about your organization and the other functions. So say yes more often than no. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. You could have made this easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just say yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, honestly, um, in 12 months, you launched four different categories. And I was like, wow, I didn't know that. But I am an oat milk fan. So can you talk a little bit behind the scenes, like the, maybe what was the aha moment? Like we need to get on this. Yeah, so we had been looking at oat milk as a segment for a little while. Um, Hamdi was, he was always wanting to go outside of yogurt. And we were very, we were very adamant that we didn't have to stay in dairy. We were watching the trends. And that's another thing with our, our insights team. You know, we were watching the trends of what was happening in plant-based milk. And almond was for sure the largest segment of plant-based milk still is today. Uh, but oat was just kind of coming up behind and it was happening so fast that it was hard not to look at and understand, you know, what's going on there. Um, we did some research and it turns out that the one of the top things that consumers want from a plant-based milk is a taste and texture similar to dairy and oat as a base gets you the closest taste and texture to dairy of any of the other bases. It's also much more sustainable. Um, oat is a cover crop. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to, to harvest it and then not use that land for years. Um, and then the process of growing oats takes much, much less water than the process of growing almonds. So a lot of the sustainability and good for the planet factor went into that decision as well. That's super cool. I love oat milk, but I didn't know that. And it just it makes me feel even better yes. uh, drinking that. Feel good. <laughs> feel good. Yeah. Um, Save the planet. <laughs> there is something that I actually wanted to go back to that I think is uh, fascinating. Uh, you're a chief marketing officer. And then you keep saying, like, I'm not a marketer. So can we sort of peel back? How did you get buy-in? What was that process like? So 
I can go way back and have that, you know, sob story. When I joined Chobani to build the category management team, my boss at the time was our VP of sales. And he said, get it grounded, bring in the right leader, and then you're going to split the country and lead sales with the other guy who was leading sales. And I said, great. He left. We had a new boss that came in. I told him, oh, my plan was to lead sales with Jeff. And I distinctly remember this moment. I was in a conference room in Charlotte. We were on the phone and he went, (laughs) I would never put you in a sales role. You've never even carried the bag. And that was like, holy shit. Like people still think this way. So I just chugged along and built the teams and and did great. And then it was really Peter McGinnis, who was our president and the original CMO, who said, well, Meredith is really great at leading this team and look at what she's built and look at what they've done. Like she can do that with any team. So it really wasn't like, oh, I think she's got this brilliant marketing mind. It was more of as we were shifting the teams and marketing so much, it's like bring them in under Meredith, bring them in under Meredith, bring them under in under Meredith. They will all flower and grow. I, <laughs> uh, and that's how it got there. So it was really about what I would say more of my leadership yeah. than my functional expertise. I think that's a powerful lesson. And did you say, if you know how to do your job 100%, you shouldn't be doing that job. Exactly. So I know I have functional expertise in category management only. So um, that's super powerful. And I think, you know, that's an example of the growth mindset of that leader that was like, look at what she's done in these other areas. She can do that here. So wonderful. Um, Maybe like one quick tip that you would give somebody very early in career, like what, looking back at your younger self, what would you wish you knew that you would do or think like? Well, it's different from what I th- the direction I think we were talking about, but I, I would say truly the advice would be calm down, stop freaking out. You like, I was always like, nobody's hired me as a category manager and I have an MBA and I'm so smart. Like I didn't have any experience. So like understand what you're wanting to do and what you're trying to do, but also understand that it doesn't have to happen in six months. You know, some people forget that I've been at Chobani for 10 years. They forget that I was a director of category management for four and a half years. I didn't move, you know, six months, six months, six months. So when you're young and in your career, I'll mix it with the other part. Be curious and learn, but also be good at your job. But see what other people are doing. Be willing to make lateral moves. Slow down, calm down. Be a good person that people want to work with. There's this thing we talk about, like you can be really good at your job and an asshole, or you can be really amazing and terrible at your job, but you can't be terrible at your job and an asshole. Like (laughs) (laughs) if you want if, if people enjoy working with you, they will bring you in more and you will get you growth will learn. from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Everybody, Meredith. I appreciate the case study that Meredith shared with us about their flip product and specifically its packaging. You know, packaging is this owned asset that I'm worried not enough brand leaders take seriously enough. I mean, certainly the big guys like Coca-Cola or Procter & Gamble, they are very sophisticated in the art and science of packaging. But I've seen newer companies and smaller companies often underestimate and underinvest in this vital real estate, despite packaging being such a predominant part of the marketing mix. I also really enjoyed how Meredith shared Chobani's evolution from being a yogurt company to becoming a food company. I have seen so many good and bad examples of brands that either evolve too fast and they stray too soon from their core offering. And in other cases, there's brands that evolve too slowly. 
It's such a fine line between being entrepreneurial and exploring new opportunities and then being too aggressive and diluting vital resources and failing because you tried to do too much too soon. I appreciate that it's tricky, but Trabani thread that needle brilliantly. And as Meredith explained, doing so required access to new insights, the creation of new competencies, the acquisition of new talent, and also the courage to elevate their ethos about why their company truly exists. And lastly, I liked how Meredith provided details about their org chart and how they divvy up different responsibilities. In my experience, leaders often spend more time thinking about what to do when in reality, success or failure most often comes down to execution. How we work usually trumps what we're working on. For example, there's lots of data that talks about the adoption of new technologies or new processes that they often fail to achieve their desired objectives. And it's not because those tech or processes aren't great, but it's because people underestimate the difficulty of change management. As I said in my intro to this, really not since Zappos has there been such a notable culture-led business that truly celebrates how people bring their true selves to work each day. Now, Chobani is still a young company. It's really just an adolescent in terms of only being 17 years old. And I think it's doing its best to remain scrappy and entrepreneurial while also finding ways to scale to new heights. It's because their core, their purpose and their products and their profits are all perfectly aligned around this DNNA, which Meredith told us about. I wish more companies were that committed to really finding that balance and striving to be wildly successful and also wildly significant. Until next time. You've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets, where we share the best insights gleaned from The Gathering, an annual summit for brand leaders eager to make their companies more successful and more significant. Learn more about The Gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us in your podcast app. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Special thanks to our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as our executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work, and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com and listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.